0: CHAPTER TWENTY-FOUR OF GUNMAN'S RECKONING BY MAX BRAND THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. That was the signal for the rush that swept across the floor, and left a flood of marveling men around the fallen Landis. On the outskirts of this tide, Donegan stepped up to two men, Joe Ricks and the peddler. They greeted him with expectant glances. "'Gentlemen,' said Donnegan. "'Will you step aside?' They followed him to a distance from the clamoring group. "'I have to thank you,' said Donnegan. "'For what?' "'For changing your minds,' said Donnegan, and left them. And afterward, the peddler murmured, with an oddly twisted face, "'Cat-eye, Joe. He can see in the dark. But I told you he was worth savin." "'Speaking in general,' said Joe,' which you ain't hardly ever wrong when you get stirred up about a thing. He's something new, the peddler said wisely. Ay, he's rare. But talking aside, suppose he was to meet up with Lord Nick. The smile of Joe Ricks was marvelously evil. You've got a great mind for great things, he declared. You ought to have been in politics. In the meantime, the doctor had been found. The wound had been cleansed. It was a cruel one, for the bullet had torn its way through flesh and sinew, and for many a week the fighting arm of Jack Landis would be useless. It had, moreover, carried a quantity of cloth into the wound, and it was almost impossible to cleanse the hole satisfactorily, as for the bullet itself it had whipped cleanly through at that short distance, making nothing of its target. A door was knocked off its hinges, but before the wounded man was placed upon it, LeBron appeared at the door into Milligan's. He was never a very cheery fellow in appearance, and now he looked like a demoniac. He went straight to Joe Ricks and the skeleton form of the peddler. He raised one finger as he looked at them. I've heard, said LeBron, Lord Nick likewise shall hear. Joe Ricks changed color. He bustled about, together with the peddler, and lent a hand in carrying the wounded man to the house of LeBron, for Nelly LeBron was to be the nurse of Landis. In the meantime, Donnegan went up the hill with Big George behind him. Already he was a sinisterly marked man. Working through the crowd near LeBron's gambling hall, a drunkard in the midst of a song stumbled against him but the sight of the man with whom he had collided sobered him as swiftly as the lash of a whip across his face. It was impossible for him, in that condition, to grow pale, but he turned a vivid purple. "'Sorry, Mr. Donnegan. Donegan, with a shrug of his shoulders, passed on. The crowd split before him, for they had heard his name. There were brave men he knew among them men who would fight to the last drop of blood, rather than be shamed, but they shrank from Donegan without shame, as they would have shrunk from the coming of a rattler, had their feet been bare. So he went easily through the crowd, with Big George in his wake, walking proudly. For George had stood to one side, and watched Donegan indomitably beat down the will of Jack Landis, and the sight would live in his mind forever. Indeed, if Donnegan had bidden the sun to stand in the heavens, the big man would have looked for obedience. That the forbearance of Donnegan should have been based on a desire to serve a girl certainly upset the mind of George, but it taught him an amazing thing, that Donnegan was capable of affection. The terrible Donnegan went on. In his wake the crowd closed slowly, for many had paused to look after the little man until they came to the outskirts of the town and climbed the hill toward the two shacks. The one, of course, was dark, but the shack in which Lou Macon lived burst with light. Donegan paused to consider this miracle. He listened, and he heard voices, the voice of a man, laughing loudly. Thinking something was wrong, he hurried forward and called loudly. What he saw, when he was admitted, made him speechless. Colonel Macon ensconced in his invalid chair, faced the door, and near him was Lou Macon. Lou rose half-frightened by the unexpected interruption, but the liquid laughter of the Colonel set all to rights at once. "'Come in, Donagan,". come in, lad,' said the Colonel. I heard a man's voice, Donagan said, half-apologetically. The sick color began to leave his face, and relief swept over it slowly. I thought something might be wrong. I didn't think of you, and looking down, as all men will in moments of relaxation from a strain, he did not see the eyes of Lou Macon grow softly luminous as they dwelt upon him. Come in, George," went on the Colonel, "and make yourself comfortable in the kitchen. Close the door. Sit down, Donagan. When your letter came, I saw that I was needed here. Lou, have you looked into our friend's cabin? No. Nothing like a woman's touch to give a man the feeling of homeliness, Lou. Step over to Donnegan's cabin and put it to rights. Yes, I know that George takes care of it, but George is one thing, and your care will be another. Besides, I must be alone with him for a moment. Man-talk confuses a girl, Lou. You shouldn't listen to it. She withdrew with that faint, dreamy smile, with which she had often heard the instructions of her father as though she were only listening with half of her mind. When she was gone, though the door to the kitchen stood wide open, and Big George was in it, the Colonel lowered his bass voice so successfully that it was as safe as being alone with Donnegan. And now for facts, he began. But, said Donnegan, how, that chair, how in the world have you come here? The Colonel shook his head. My dear boy, You grieve and disappoint me. The manner in which a thing is done is not important. Mysteries are usually simply explained. As for my small mystery, a neighbor on the way to the corner with a wagon stopped in, and I asked him to take me along, so here I am. But now for your work here, lad. Bad, said Donnegan. I gathered you had been unfortunate, and now you have been fighting. You have heard? I see it in your eye, Donnegan. When a man has been looking fear in the face for a long time, an image of it remains in his eyes. They are wider, glazed, with the other thing. It was forced on me, said Donnegan. I have shot Landis. He was amazed to see the Colonel was vitally affected. His lips remained parted over his next word, and one eyelid twitched violently. But the spasm passed over quickly when he raised his perfect hands and pressed them together just under his chin. He smiled in a most winning manner that made the blood of Donnegan run cold. Donnegan, he said softly, I see that I have misjudged you. I underestimated you. I thought, indeed, that your rare qualities were qualified by painful weaknesses. But now I see that you are a man, and from this moment we shall act together with open minds." So you have done it, tush. Then I need not have taken my trip. The work is done. The mines come to me as the heir of Jack. And yet, poor boy, I pity him. He misjudged me. He should not have ventured to this deal with Lord Nick and his compatriots. Wait, exclaimed donnegan, you're wrong. Landis is not dead. Once more the colonel was checked, but this time the alteration in his face was no more than a comma's pause in a long, balanced sentence. It was impossible to obtain more than one show of emotion from him in a single conversation. Not dead? Well, Donegan, that is unfortunate. And after you had punctured him, you had no chance to send home the finishing shot?" Donegan merely watched the Colonel and tapped his bony fingers against the point of his chin ah murmured the colonel i see another possibility it is almost as good it may even be better than his death you have disabled him and having done this you at once take him to a place where he shall be under your surveillance this in fact is a very comfortable outlook for me and my interests but for you donnegan how the devil do you benefit by having jack flat on his back sick helpless and in a perfect position to excite all the sympathies of Lou. Now Donnegan had known cold-blooded men in his day, but that there existed such a man as the Colonel had never come into his mind. He looked upon the Colonel, therefore, with neither disgust nor anger, but with a distant and almost admiring wonder, for perfect evil always wins something akin to admiration from more common people. Well continued the Colonel a little uneasy under this silent scrutiny. Silence was almost the only thing in the world that could trouble him. Well, Donagan, my lad, this is your plan, is it not? To shoot down Landis, then take possession of him while I nurse him back to health, hold a gun, metaphorically speaking, to his head, and make him do as I please, sign some lease, say, of the mines to you? the colonel shifted himself to a more comfortable position in his chair brought the tips of his fingers together under his vast chin and smiled benevolently upon donnegan it is as i thought he murmured donnegan you are rare you are exquisite and you said donnegan are a scoundrel exactly i am very base the colonel laughed you and i alone can speak with intimate knowledge of me his chuckle shook all his body and set the folds of his face quivering. His mirth died away when he saw Donnegan come to his feet. Eh? he called. Goodbye," bye said Donnegan. But where, Landis, Donnegan, What devil is in your eye? A foolish devil, Colonel Macon. I surrender the benefits of all my work for you and go to make sure that you do not lay your hands upon Jack Landis. The Colonel opened and closed his lips foolishly, like a fish gasping silently out of water. It was rare indeed for the Colonel to appear foolish. In Heaven's name, Donnegan The little man smiled. He had a marvelously wicked smile, which came from the fact that his lips could curve while his eyes remained bright and straight, and malevolently unwrinkled. He laid his hand upon the knob of the door. Donegan cried the colonel, gray of face. Give me one minute. End of chapter 24